Luke 12, beginning in verse 22, tells us regarding Jesus. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body and what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon, all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Father, we lift before you not only the word of God that you have given to us, but we lift before you our hearts, Lord, our minds, our soul and spirit. And we long for you this morning to just write your will on the fleshly tablet of our heart, that you would bless your word, that you would speak personally and powerfully to each and every one of our hearts. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, that we wouldn't hear wise or persuasive words of a man, but that we could each experience the demonstration of your spirit and your power speaking personally to our hearts. Lord, you know what we're asking and what we need. Please prepare us, ready us to receive your word. Keep us alert and attentive. And we pray that you now would teach us and instruct us. And we thank you for these things and ask your blessing upon this study time in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, in light of our text we read together this morning, I think it's a good question to start out by asking, what do you find yourself worried about this morning? I don't really care what age you are or really what may be going on currently in your life right now. I think worry is certainly a common tendency among each and every person who's walking this planet. And I would remind you, if maybe you've never heard the statement before, it's a first time for you, that old adage that worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you absolutely nowhere. You know, that is such a great statement. It gives you something to do, just like a rocking chair, but worry gets you absolutely nowhere. And because of that, we find Jesus here as he's continuing now in this teaching with this multitude and his disciples that are assembled, begin now to address worry in the lives of the people that he was speaking to. The last chapter, Jesus was giving, or sort of the last section, excuse me, he was giving a warning that we would not allow our lives to be controlled by greed and covetousness. And he warned against covetousness in his prior words and the result, therefore, of wrongly investing our lives. As we continue on this morning, we see Jesus come to sort of a next warning. And here, it's pretty obvious he's warning about being controlled by worry. And when our lives are controlled by worry, as a result, we then allow fear and anxiety to always direct how we decide and how we live and how we respond to things and spend our lives. And we then live by fear rather than faith in God. And so important as we come into this text this morning to remember as Jesus, notice verse 22, is speaking to his disciples, to remember that Jesus' disciples had left all their earthly security. They left behind their fishing businesses. They left behind their uh, occupation at the tax office and other things. And they had left their earthly security to follow Jesus and become a part of his ministry. 
just back in Luke chapter 5, we have the record there where Jesus is speaking to Peter and some other fishermen. And he tells them, getting the call of God upon their lives, he says, from now on, you will catch men. And it tells us in response to that, when they had brought their boats to land, it says they forsook all and followed him, followed Jesus. So they literally left everything of their security, their occupation. And you can imagine, therefore, how the disciples would, therefore, indeed be feeling very vulnerable. They had quite honestly left their security, they had left their stability, they had left their fishing businesses, and naturally they would be wondering how they were going to make it. How would they be sustained? Contrary to the rich man who just had a successful season in business that Jesus referred to in our prior verses last week, who had so much he didn't know what to do with it, he had too much. The disciples were concerned about not having enough. And how they would have enough to actually get by for their legitimate needs of survival. In fact, Peter, who was rather an honest individual in Matthew chapter 19, on one occasion, struggling with this thing, actually said to Jesus these very words. He said, Lord, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? Uh, Peter understood this literal reality of, Lord, We've done what you've asked. We've forsaken all and followed you. But I have to be a little honest, Lord. How's this all going to work out for us? How are you going to sustain us? We've left all to follow you. Well, in the last parable, Jesus was warning, we saw, about the foolishness of selfishly hoarding our excess of personal ex uh, possessions to an extreme. And he ended by exhorting them to instead to be rich toward God and to invest in the things that are spiritual and eternal. Well, the disciples were clearly doing that. They were investing their entire lives into following Jesus and the ministry of traveling around with him. They had literally left everything. Therefore, their concern was not having enough to survive and to get by in everyday existence. And it is in that context, important to realize that, it is in that context of the disciples having left behind certain things to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, to pursue his personal calling upon their lives and to join him in his ministry, it is in that context we understand the words of Jesus here that we look at in these verses. So draw your attention with me, if you would, back to the 22nd verse. It tells us that Jesus said to his disciples who were thinking, Lord, it's not our problem to have to store things in barns. Lord, we don't have enough to put in our pockets, let alone have barns, to be able to store things. And it's at that point, Jesus, knowing that, said to his disciples, <clears throat> verse 22, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat, nor about the body and what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. So it appears to me that Jesus sensed, as he would, that the disciples would be struggling with the legitimate concern over their physical needs, how they would get by in day-to-day -day existence. And Jesus, therefore, shows them, addressing the concern he could see in their hearts, in the same way that Jesus this morning, whether you express it outwardly or not to any other human being, he sees the concern that's in your heart. He sees the thing you're worried about, the thing that you're anxious about, the thing perhaps that you're a little concerned over. Jesus shows them that it is not God's intention that they live out their existence in constant worry in regards to how they would be sustained and if they would have enough for their physical needs and therefore always be fretting how they were going to get by and how there was going to be enough food on their table during their time here on earth. So Jesus, notice, begins in verse 22 with a command, and it is a command, by saying to them, do not worry about your life. Now, take note, your life. The reason why those disciples should not be worried about their life and the reason why we really as the followers of the Lord, should not be worried about our lives is the reality that truly our life really is not our own. It's not really our life. Our life is something, my life, your life, that really is a stewardship of God who created it. 
The Bible tells us in Acts 17 that God made the world and everything in it, and he gives to all, listen, life, breath, and all things. In other words, the origin of every one of our existence is God himself. It was God who allowed us to be conceived in our mother's womb. It was God who, Psalm 139 says, knit us together and fashioned us in our mother's womb with the personality and the genetic makeup and our appearance and our idiosyncrasies and the quirks in our personalities. God wired and created all of that. He's the one who rules over all things and the one who created our life. And therefore, as a result, it is God's primary responsibility as the origin of our existence. It is his primary responsibility and stewardship to therefore sustain our life. It's his responsibility to care for us. Now, listen, that does not mean that we have the right to live lazy or to be irresponsible or that we can just be reckless with our lives. The Bible condemns such. It simply means that we can rest knowing that God has ultimate responsibility for our care and to sustain us on this earth. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The psalmist declares in Psalm 145, verse 15 and 16, The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. See, we were made in the image of God. And therefore, God has a much higher purpose and reason for our existence, listen, than just making sure we have enough to eat after church this morning or that we came in here dressed well. Now, I live with four women. The way that it takes a certain amount of time to get ready to go places, that may not always be our perspective. But God really does have a higher purpose than just making sure there's food in our belly and making sure that we have proper clothing. There is a much higher purpose, contrary to the world's perspective and viewpoint. From God's perspective, life is about much more than just acquiring and sustaining physical needs or existence here on this earth. In fact, I think you ought to underline there the very fact that you see Jesus saying in verse 23 that life is about more. See, verse 23, life is more. You ought to underline it. In other words, Jesus is trying to emphasize, listen, life is about more than just food and clothing and physical and temporal and material things. Life is about so much more than that from God's perspective. Contrary to the message of the world, life is about things like knowing God. Life is about understanding the fact that God has a purpose and a plan for our lives and he wants us to have a relationship with him and walk in fellowship with him. Life is about realizing and discovering the Lord's purposes and wonderful plans for your individual and personal life. I love Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 because it tells us part of the Christian life is discovering, it says, good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. See, truth of the matter is, the Christian life is the most exciting life that there is to live. People in the world who think they're the captain of their own fate and are ruling and governing their own lives and they're free to do what they want, their life is boring and it's a drag because they're having to make up their life. And many of them are still laying their head down on their pillow at night, miserable and empty and having regrets and they're unsatisfied. Yet the Bible tells us that God saves us not by works, we're saved by grace through faith. But the Bible says that God actually saves us for works. That he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in. That means it's an exciting thing for me as a Christian because I can get up every single day and spend time with the Lord in the morning and then in anticipation walk through my day saying, I wonder what good works God has for me to do today. Maybe it's ministering in a sensitive way to my wife or spending necessary time with my children and doing something to be helpful or maybe it's talking to somebody in the supermarket or maybe it's helping someone out. But there are good works and things for you and I to accomplish every day and with anticipation you can walk through every day recognizing God has something for me to do today. 
I don't have to make it up. I can look for what thing God might want to do and to realize that God has a plan for your unique and individual life. It makes every day exciting to look for the ways in which God is going to work and how he wants to use you to touch the world or maybe talk to somebody in your job or if you're a teenager to be friendly with someone maybe who's discouraged and doesn't have any friends and to realize the excitement that God wants to use you. And that he has plans for your life. Life is about so much more than the world portrays. It's about loving God and knowing him and loving people and serving people who are eternal and have great value in the sight of the Lord. Well, look at verse 24. Jesus then says, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Again, this is in context of worrying, of being fretful and concerned and anxious at heart. Jesus now notice shows us, I think the primary point in verse 24, he shows us that worry is rooted in our lack of understanding of the value that we have to God. Worry is rooted in our lack of understanding of our value to God. That's the point that Jesus is getting to here. He illustrates the care of God by asking them to consider creation. And he says, consider the ravens. What is interesting is that ravens as a bird are known to be neglectful towards their young. It's interesting that Jesus would choose them as an object lesson in nature. And he says, consider the ravens. These Creatures on top of that, which were known for not properly caring for their young, it tells us in Job 38:41, who provides for the raven when its young ones cry to God and wander about for lack of food? Who takes care of these ravens? Because even their parents themselves don't seem to adequately provide for them. And Jesus says in verse 23, I'll tell you who takes care of the ravens. He says, verse 24, excuse me, God feeds them. Now, I would think God's pretty occupied with quite a bit of responsibility, wouldn't you? But yet God, in his loving stewardship over all of his creation and all creatures, actually takes the time to become involved as a good and faithful steward to even care for the ravens. And Jesus is saying to us, look at creation. It's an object lesson. He says, when you struggle with worry, he says, look at creation around you because it's preaching a living sermon. It's conveying things about the nature of God. Birds don't naturally work hard and store up for survival on their own. You know, I mean, I've never seen a little union bird club assembled together or, you know, an unemployment office for the birds or them outside building a, a construction site. Birds naturally don't typically do that, uh, but yet they're cared for and sustained by God's loving provision. God understands the way that he's created them. He understands their limitations and their lack of capability. And he takes initiative to make adequate provision for them. So Jesus is saying, arguing from the lesser to the greater, listen, now if God feeds the ravens, and the ravens don't struggle and strain to work hard and to store up in their barns and make sure they have enough, he says, listen, if God feeds them, he's saying, certainly, certainly, you who have so much more value, will he take the consideration of what your needs are and make sure adequate provision is giving? And if God deems these ravens that were unclean animals, even according to Old Testament law, important enough for his care and his involvement and provision in their lives, we can just consider how much more importance and priority he places on us and he will watch over and care for us. See, what Jesus is trying to convey to them and to us is he wants us to understand and realize the tremendous value that we have to him. And Jesus wants us to understand the tremendous value that we have to his Father in heaven. Now, that's important this morning because sadly, would you agree, we live in a culture that devalues the lives of people. When you look at our statistics in abortion, it's pretty obvious that we devalue life. When we look around our world and we live in this world and we see how we relate and treat one another as human beings, it's pretty obvious to me that we devalue life. 
the way in which we treat one another cruelly, the way in which you know, we seek to do what we prefer with no consideration of others, it is pretty obvious one mark of our culture is tragically in our sinfulness and selfishness, we really devalue the lives of people. And because of that, unfortunately, perhaps maybe even this morning because of how you've been treated, or maybe because of your own view of yourself, maybe you have a sense of feeling sort of worthless and unimportant. And very sadly, because of that, as a result, many people who feel worthless and unimportant, maybe because of how they were treated, maybe you were neglected by your parents and you weren't given the upbringing you should have had from a, 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 an adequate mother and a father who invested and spent time with you, or maybe you experienced some very cruel things from some friends in your school system, or maybe you were mistreated in a job, or maybe even hurt and wounded in the body of Christ and among a church. And as a result of that, it causes great strain and makes us at times feel unimportant. And then what happens when people feel valueless and worthless, they then struggle with insecurity. And as they struggle with insecurity and the worry that comes along with that, they then crave acceptance in unhealthy ways. And when people begin to feel insecure and they become insecure about themselves and they crave acceptance in unhealthy ways, what begins to happen is it many times leads to them behaving and acting in wrong ways. Such people who are worried because they feel so worthless and are craving acceptance in an unhealthy way, many times they begin to manifest behaviors that are, are unhealthy and doing things like trying to control their environment because they're always seeking to have acceptance somehow. Or, or they begin to manipulate people because they, they always need to feel they need to regain control because they've been hurt and wounded and brushed aside so many times. And it causes such a tremendous damage. And Jesus here is trying to tell us, look, don't you realize how much more value you have in the eyes of God? Listen, despite this morning how you think about yourself or how you feel about yourself, listen to me. You are of tremendous value to God. You are so important to God. Exactly the way he made you, the way that you look, your personality, everything about you, everything about your life, God values you. He places tremendous worth upon your life. And don't let the treatment of the world or the lies of the devil or your own deception of the thoughts in your mind make you think anything different. You are of tremendous value to God. You're extremely important to him. You're uniquely created. Isaiah 49:16. God says, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Now, knowing the value that God places on our lives and understanding that for ourselves really should produce tremendous confidence within us and security before the Lord. It allows us to feel very secure and it gives us a sense of rest that we can realize, you know what? God values my life and God loves me and God has a plan for my life and God wants to be involved in my life and that can bring tremendous security. So you don't have to walk through this life feeling insecure and struggling with that. You can find your security in the Lord. You can find your security in Jesus to know that you're accepted in the beloved and God places great value on who you are. And Jesus is saying here that worry many times is rooted in, take note, a lack of understanding of the value that we have to God. And he wants us to realize that great value. It's one of the greatest antidotes to help overcome worry and anxiousness to really discover how much God values your life. It will really do tremendous wonders to help with worry and anxiety in your life. Look at verse 25. Jesus goes on and saying, And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? <clears throat> if you then are not able to do the least... Why are you anxious for the rest? So here Jesus conveying the important truth to us that worry, as we said at the beginning of the study, is not productive. In fact, it's counterproductive. Worry, Jesus says, anxiousness in our mind, it accomplishes nothing. Uh, worry does not have the power to change anything. In fact, Jesus poses a very logical line of reasoning here. He gives sort of an honest challenge in verse 25 to help us reason out logically this reality. He asks a question. He says, which of you by worrying, and the language there literally is to strangle 
And that's what worry's like. It strangles the life out of us. Which of you, by worrying, Jesus says, can add one cubit to his stature? Now, there's debate here as to whether or not Jesus was alluding to a person making himself physically taller or whether some translations, as they render it, Jesus was possibly referring to the extending of a person's time on earth. Truthfully, both of these are areas that concern people, and both of those things are honestly completely out of our control either way. If Jesus is alluding to being able to increase our height somehow, again, we have no control over our height. We have no ability to add another inch to our height or stature, and yet this is often something that people in this life can at times be concerned about. You know, when little ones are, are growing up and you take them to the amusement park, you know, we weren't too far from Hershey Park where we used to live, and, you know, they had the, you know, whatever, the, you know, Hershey Kiss spot and the Snickers bar and this and that, and as you went to different heights, you could go on different rides, and, you know, little ones, they just, oh, man, I can't wait to get to that so I can, and, and, and they're always wanting to get taller and, you know, trying to you know, see if they could get themselves to the next level to go on that next ride or if you grew up among the uh, bond of some of us who are vertically challenged uh, like myself you, you, you understand that challenge of, of, of just wishing you know maybe just another inch you know maybe just a little bit a little bit taller but yet the reality is what that's genetically hardwired we have no control over that and you can't reprogram the thing. You're going to be as tall as you're wired to be genetically. No amount of thinking and worrying about it is going to change things one inch. Now, in the same way, if Jesus is alluding to adding a cubit to our stature in the sense, as some translations render, of you know, adding time to our life or our lifespan, in the same way, we also have no control over how much time we have. In a day, in a week, in our lifespan, God controls time. And God rules over time. Everybody gets the same amount of time on this planet. Same amount of hours in a day, same amount of days in a week. And yet, what do we do? We often worry, do we not, and stress about time. The things that we want to accomplish or the things that we feel we need to accomplish in business because of some commitment or, you know, the pressures of our responsibilities or, th or homework and, and papers. And, and what do we do? Oh, I don't know. I've got enough time to get all this done. And the stack is piling up and the errands are things we have to do. I just, and, and we begin to what? Worry and get stressed. Because we feel like, I just don't have time. If I could just get a few more hours in the day or a few more days in the week. And, and we feel stress and anxiety and get anxious because we feel like we just don't have enough time. But stress as we may, we can't affect that. You can't extend the hours of a day. You and I can't add another day into a week. Our lifespan as well is under God's control. Yet the humorous thing to me is, though all of our days were written in God's book before one of it came to be, look at our culture. Our lifespan is, is under God's control the exact day you're going to breathe your last. And what do people in our culture do? They obsess over trying to make their life live longer. You know, I'm going to vitamin this and, you know, drink that and exercise this and all the obsession over anything I can do to make myself live longer when the reality is, truthfully, it's really out of our control. Our lifespan is under God's control. So whether it's adding years to our life or adding hours to our day, time's under God's control. And therefore, to be anxious or worried about that or stressed over those things is completely, Jesus says, profitless and it's counterproductive. See, the reality and right response, it's wise to just do your best with the time and the ability that you have available and then just commit the rest to God. That's the right approach. You just do your best with the time and the ability and what you have available and you just commit the rest to God and you trust him. Listen to Psalm 37, verse 5. It says, commit your way to the Lord Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. You know, that may be a word of the Lord for one of you this morning. You have a business deadline coming up, or you have errands and things that you just have to get done by a certain list. Just trust in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him. He'll bring it to pass. You do your best, and then just commit the rest to God and watch how he works those things out. Well, Jesus indicating that reality of our inability to control time or inability to add inches to our stature physically 
He reinforces that by then saying in verse 26, if you then are not able to do the least, adding a few inches or a few hours to your life, if you're unable to do the least, he says, then why are you anxious for the rest? In other words, Jesus' line of reasoning is, listen, if we don't have the capability to change the minor things in our life, how really senseless is it to fret and be anxious and worry in a counterproductive way over the more major things that we don't have any control over either. If we can't add a few inches to our height or a few hours to our day, Jesus says, if you can't do those minor things, why feel stress and anxiety and let yourself be destroyed by it if those other things that are even bigger are further out of your control and you now have ability to do anything with those either? In other words, it makes no rational sense to do that. He says to be anxious, and when you look up that term, it means to have extreme uneasiness of mind and fearful concern over something. To be anxious, to have extreme uneasiness of mind and fearful concern over something. Now listen, perhaps right now this morning, you're feeling anxious about something. Perhaps there's something in your life or on your calendar or that you're confronting and you are feeling extreme uneasiness of mind and fearful concern over it. Remember, worrying is not productive. It may feel very responsible. Doesn't it feel responsible? I don't know about you. I'll be the first to that. I sometimes feel like I've got to worry. Somebody needs to worry, don't they? I mean, it, somebody needs to be responsible and be concerned over this. And it actually feels like the right thing to do. When we're confronted with something, it feels like that, hey, we should certainly be worried because this is not looking, but it truly accomplishes nothing. It doesn't have the power to change anything. And that's why Jesus is speaking the truth that he is to us. It doesn't help. It just hinders and harms. And honestly, it can become sin in our lives. Worry and anxiety and stress can be just as much a sin as many of the other things that we label as displeasing to God. And so important that we realize that and ask the Lord to assist us with it when we struggle. Verse 27, Jesus continues, consider the lilies. He says, how they grow. They neither again toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon, King Solomon, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So Jesus here again draws attention back to the glorious testimony of creation. He now turns to the plant life and how it speaks a message, the flowers of the fields. Jesus says, again, like the birds, they're not striving and straining to <clears throat> sort of beautify themselves. And he says, yet God has blessed these plants, he says, with tremendous beauty, with a glory, a special glory. And he says in verse 27, even King Solomon, who was their wealthiest king in Israel. He says, even your wealthiest king in Israel's history, who we are told had so much gold and silver, he would actually grind up the dust of gold and silver and sprinkle it in his hair. Sounds like a modern pop idol, doesn't he? And he'd sprinkle this in his hair because he had so much excess. It was part of his, his wardrobe and his attire. And Jesus says, even King Solomon, with all he had, did not have the comparable beauty even of creation itself and some of the marvelous uh, blessing of what? Temporary flowers, the grass of the fields, the lilies, Jesus says. God has bestowed such beauty on them. Verse 28, the reasoning, if then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and then tomorrow is thrown in the oven to help with keeping their heat and their cooking, he says, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So Jesus says, if God takes such tremendous care and concern over temporary plant life, to bless it abundantly, not just to create it, but to bestow upon it an excellence of glory, <clears throat> whereby it looks beautiful. And he says, listen, arguing from the lesser to the greater, if God does that with grass of the field, which is temporary, and tomorrow is just tossed into the oven, how much more for you and I, being so much more important to him, that have eternal value, is God going to make sure he makes adequate provision in our lives? And beyond that, many times God doesn't just supply, he oftentimes exceeds with greater blessing what we even need. And because of his kindness does so much more. And Jesus says here to us that worry about our basic needs 
can be causing us to become fearful and stressed, he says here, is actually an indication, notice verse 28, of what? Having a lack of faith. Having little faith. Jesus often sees worry and fear in our lives as a testimony to our having little faith. And fear is the opposite of faith. They're exact opposites. Fear will always direct how you and I view things. Fear will always cause us to live and decide about matters because of the driving compulsion of the fear that we have within. That's why the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. Many times when someone is living and responding in fear, it's because they don't know the love of God. They're not experiencing the love of God and they're trying to control their environment and they're being driven and controlled by their fears. And Jesus says many times, it's an indication of a lack of faith or little faith. Now this morning, perhaps you are allowing in some way in your life, fear to dictate your decisions or to direct the way that you're doing things in regards to matters. And if so, I can tell you, you are probably perpetually living in the mindset because of fear, you're perpetually living in the mindset where everything is debated through the filter of, well, what if? Well, what if? Well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And, and, and it's all filtered through the what if of the fear grid and then the and and how will I what if this and and how will I or how will we and, and and fear puts everything through that grid and it keeps us in the paralysis of analysis and we never step forward and we keep ourselves in a constant state of concern and worry listen we are called to live by faith we are called to relate to God by trusting him. Listen again to Psalm 37. This is verse 3. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. If you're struggling with fear this morning, rather than continue to, to digest all of your concerns and the what ifs and how will I instead, the Bible says, Look, trust in the Lord. It's not complicated. You need to just trust in the Lord, man. Trust in the Lord and feed on his faithfulness. Know that your God loves you and that God is faithful. Jesus says, verse 29, And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father, notice, your Father knows that you need these things. So Jesus shows the disciples, again, not God's intention that they be consumed, pursuing, chasing after material because of the fearful concern of, if not, how will we survive and get by? And again, let me reemphasize, please know, God is not condoning here in his word laziness or encouraging irresponsibility whereby we don't work at all or we don't do anything to provide for our necessities. We refuse to labor. labor. The Bible condemns laziness the bible condemns irresponsibility uh, and and we should always seek to do something to provide responsibly in some field that god's given to us to work and serve in in fact paul had to correct the corinthian or excuse me the thessalonian church regarding this problem second thessalonians 3:11 to 12 paul rebuked them in that church saying for we hear there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner not working at all, but are busybodies. And Paul says, These we command and exhort through the Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. So in some form or fashion, we should responsibly work at something and labor in some field that God has set before us to provide for our necessities as good stewards, but yet we can labor in that field with the rest and assurance that, hey, as I do my part and labor responsibly, God will bless And God will supply my needs, and through this, God will make sure I have adequate provisions. And Jesus tells us not to become anxious and be driven as the world is, seeking constantly after their foremost concern of, i got to fill my belly, i got to keep clothes on my back, i got to keep a roof over my head. And Jesus says, listen, that is, he says here, the way that the nations of the world live. In other words, Jesus says that is the mindset of the unsaved world because they're motivated by their concern for survival. Why? Because they feel like everything depends on them. 
They don't know that they have a father who loves them. So they feel like if I don't, who will? And they feel a constant compulsion to strain and struggle. And they think everything depends on them alone. However, Jesus says as a child of God, we have a caring father who he says knows what we need and will make sure that we are adequately supplied and cared for. He knows that we need certain things and he fully intends to supply them for you and I. And not only that, our Father in heaven has all power and all resources to supply in any way he chooses. He can do it through your job. He can do it through something showing up as an anonymous gift to your family. He, whatever. God's not limited. God can supply in any way, in any form, in any fashion. And many a times, as we trust the Lord and, and, and allow him to work, we see the faithfulness of God in ways that absolutely blow our minds. Whether it's in the, the, the working and God blessing in our place of employment or whether it's the Lord in some other unique way, creating an opportunity, making our bills less one month so that therefore we have excess for something we didn't expect. God has marvelous ways to care for and provide for us as his children. Now, this is important to know and I'll tell you why. So that we can stay focused spiritually and we can make our lives remain available to the Lord. And this would be pertinent to the disciples, and it's very pertinent to you this morning if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Because sometimes the Lord may ask us to follow his lead in something. And maybe Jesus asks us to follow his lead in something. Maybe the Lord's asking you to give him more time in your personal walk with him. To, to be more committed to times of worship and to be involved more to spend time seeking him. Maybe it's to get involved in serving the Lord somehow in ministry. And God says, look... I want you to, to find a way to serve me, an outlet to give back to me. Maybe it's even the Lord asking some of you to take a major step to embrace the call of God upon your life for some ministry. And what the Lord is asking is confronting the logical reality that it is going to clearly affect your material status. Maybe the Lord is saying, look, I want you to get involved and start serving me. And you go, Lord, if I get involved and start serving you, I can't work as many hours at my job. And I need that overtime. Or Lord, if I don't put in all those extra hours, the guy over here is going to get the promotion. And Lord, you know I need the promotion. Or Lord, if, if I step out and serve you in this way, or, or, or get, you know, all of a sudden, Lord, I'm going to limit my opportunity. Or Lord, if I forsake all and follow you, how in the world, Lord, it doesn't make sense. There's no logical way that will work out. If I do that, it's going to affect this. And to pursue what God asks us may mean to risk those securities of the everyday needs that we realize that we all have and jeopardize that in our lives. And I'll tell you, tragically, some believers are so motivated by a sense of self-sufficiency that they will miss the opportunities of God's call and leading upon their lives they will shrink back from spiritual progress and opportunities God sets before them because they're overly motivated to seek what is needed for themselves and they're so self-sufficient they feel like they've got to because if they don't I don't know how it'll happen and they miss incredible spiritual opportunities look it's totally natural totally normal to recognize legitimate needs in your life that's a normal thing. But Jesus says, you also, and I also have to recognize, the key is remembering you have a relationship with a father. And he says, your father knows that you need these things. He knows that you need those things. He didn't somehow overlook that. And see, it's that illustration. A young child is never motivated by feeling that they need to do something to go out and provide and put food on the table. You know, I'm in the midst of raising children, especially when they were, were younger. I never saw them sitting around the refrigerator nervously having a meeting saying, hey, which one of us think you should go out and make a little extra? I don't know. Dad's seeming a little, you know, I don't know. Children don't do that. What they? they perceive as they enjoy their life, that's dad's responsibility. That's the natural inclination of a child. That's dad's job. That's what he does. He's supposed to provide food for me. He's supposed to keep a roof over my head. And see, the same is true spiritually. As the Lord leads us, we can say, all right, Lord, if you're asking me to follow you in this way, uh, Lord, you know I'm going to need. Or Lord, you know I'm not going to make as much if I cut back on my overtime. So Lord, this doesn't make sense. But I thank you, Father, that you know what I have need of. 
And I don't know how you're going to supply it, Father, but I trust that you are a good Father. So I don't want to be motivated by my self-sufficiency. I want to be moved by my spiritual confidence that you are my Father. And if you're leading, then I'm going to trust you and follow you in that way. And it's a wonderful thing. Notice Jesus suggests an antidote in verse 31, I think. He says, look, here's the antidote when that struggle happens. Seek the kingdom of God and all these things, what? Food, clothing, shelter, all the material legitimate needs that our Father knows that we have need of. You seek the kingdom of God and all these things, Jesus says, shall be, notice, I love that word, added to you. The world, they're straining and striving and chasing and pursuing and running the rat race and climbing over each other's backs for the promotion and this and that and, and struggling and straining. And, and Jesus says, look, if your spiritual priority is right, while they're straining to get things, while they're endlessly trying to acquire everything, he says, I'll just add things to you. As you're about my business, I'll just add things into your life. You don't have to go get them. He says, I'll just add them to you. I'll just deposit them into your account as I seek to provide for you as a loving father. We have to reserve our primary pursuit in life for the right things. There's both in verse 31 there an important principle and an important promise. The important principle is in verse 31 where he has seek the kingdom of God. That's the principle. See, gang, that's our priority. What's our priority? Seek the kingdom of God. Let that be the priority of your life. Make every decision in your life, every determination, every choice, let it always be run through the filter of how can I best position myself to seek the kingdom of God? Should I take this job? Shouldn't I take this job? Should we do this or shouldn't we do that? Should, how am I putting myself in the best position that my top priority can always be to seek the kingdom of God because I'm a child of God? So our priority, seek first the kingdom of God and the incredible promise when we're doing that, when we're seeking the kingdom of God, that speaks of God's provision. All these things that maybe you're concerned you won't acquire if you're seeking the kingdom, Jesus says all these things, they'll be added to you. That's God's promise of his grace and his provision. And I'll tell you, listen, Matthew 6.33 is another exposition of this same verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. That has been a life verse for me. And I tell you, in 20 years of walking with Jesus, I have seen the Lord honor that so many times in incredible ways. By always putting Jesus first and God always, when we prioritize him and his kingdom, God always supplies. God always provides. He adds back excess hours into your day somehow miraculously. He doesn't change the clock, but it happens. You put Jesus first and his things first and he just adds extra time back in. Something gets done quicker than it should have or he adds whatever it is materially or financially that may be needed. It's such a wonderful thing to see the Lord do. Verse 32, Jesus says, and do not fear. Notice, God doesn't want us to be fearful. He wants us to have confidence in his love. He says, little flock. Again, realizing that we're defenseless like sheep and we need our shepherd to guide us. He says, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Again, Jesus says, look, don't be afraid. I know that you're a defenseless flock. And he says, our father loves us so much. He says, it actually brings him pleasure that one day he's going to get to give to you the eternal kingdom. And he says, if our father is pleased to give us the eternal kingdom, why would we be concerned he wouldn't give us everything else we need right now if he's going to give us the very best one day in the kingdom of God? So he says to his disciples, verse 33, sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money, bags which don't grow old, and treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where thief, no thief approaches nor moth destroys. So again, keeping in mind Jesus is talking to his disciples who did what? Remember, they left everything. They left everything to follow him. They have very little now as it is. And then Jesus says to them, listen, boys, sell what you have and go help the poor. And they're thinking, wait a minute. We're already defenseless enough. That's going to make us more vulnerable. On top of giving away what we already have, you're telling us to give more away and to serve more people. That'll make us more vulnerable in regards to our life. Yet, I tell you, that vulnerability would also cause them to be more dependent on God. And a life that is lived in dependency on God gets a chance to see the demonstration 
of God's faithfulness. So again, Jesus comes back to this idea of properly investing in our stewardship on earth. He says, look, invest in spiritual things. He says here, lay up treasure in heaven. To invest in earth, he says, is risky at best. People steal things and, and things get ruined. I mean, one look at our economy indicates that. But Jesus says, listen, if you make investments in heavenly things, that's wise because the reason is the return on spiritual investments never fails. You know, God's interest is wonderful and his system is secure. And let me say this in light of that. Understand, God does not need money from us. Okay, God's not dependent on our money or our giving to him. Contrary to what is wrongly represented many times in the church, God's intention is not seeking to raise money. God's intention is seeking to raise children who have a good heart understanding their stewardship in regards to all things. That's why Jesus concludes in verse 34 saying, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, it's a principle that God understands. What we invest ourselves in the most is what we'll be concerned about the most, we'll think about the most, and we'll care about the most. Just look. You know, people who are highly involved in the stock market... What's their number one concern? The stocks. Whatever we are investing in the most, our heart will automatically follow what we invest ourselves into. Now that's a wonderful thing, understanding this. If at times you find yourself like I do, saying, man, I wish my heart was more in tune with heaven. I wish I had more of an eternal perspective. See, Jesus says here, well, listen, you can guide your heart. You can guide your heart to be more eternal and to be more heavenly, and that's by making decisions to invest your time and your resources and talents and efforts in the kingdom of God, because Jesus says wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will follow. You can guide your own heart because your heart will always follow what you invest your life and energy and talents and time into. Notice the thing Jesus cares about what? Our heart condition. He wants the Christian to be in tune with heaven, and he wants the unsaved person to have their heart prepared for heaven. That's why Paul says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God's raising from the dead, we shall be saved. That's what the Lord's after. That our heart would be in tune with heaven if we're a Christian and prepared for heaven if we don't know Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? We'll have the musicians come and close us in a final song of worship. Father, thank you for this time to study your word together this morning to just let it speak to our hearts and we pray that Lord you would allow your word to just continue to rule over our life and that we would be responsive to it to what it is said to us Lord let us respond to it in faith and obedience this morning and we commit these things to you in Jesus name Amen